The title of today's sermon is The Call to Obey, Lessons in Obedience from Those Who Have Gone Before Us. If you were here last week, this is uh, kind of part two of our text that we studied last week, but specifically highlighting men and women that have gone before us, that have followed and obeyed Jesus, and prayerfully uh, be stirred in our own lives to follow and obey Jesus in similar ways. Um, but before we get into it, let me pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for what you're doing with church planning and missions and with local ministry and at our church. We're just so thankful that you meet us and you use us for your glory. And we're just so thankful that we're a part of it, that you not only save us, but you ask us and allow us to be a part of the building of your kingdom. And today, as we look at your word and we look at uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ, the saints of old that have gone out and, and um, that obe- have obeyed you, and they've followed you, and they've truly denied their, their self, take, took up their cross and follow you, we pray that we would be encouraged today, that we would be spurred on ourselves, that we would walk out of this place different, that we, our lives would be changed. We pray for depth in our hearts this morning, Father. We pray that it wouldn't just be good stories and fun facts, and, uh, but it would be very personal. You'd make it very personal for us that in our own lives, that we would be a people that obey you, that f- we follow you, regardless of when or where or the costs, that because you are the one calling us, that we would say, yes, Lord, send me. Here I am. And so, Father God, we ask that you would just order uh, the sermon today, that I would be your mouthpiece, that you'd anoint me to communicate these truths. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Like I said, this is a continuation of last week. Uh, we, we looked at Matthew eight eighteen through 22 last week, specifically at what it means to be a disciple. The call to obedience. A disciple meaning a learner. We're always learning as disciples. And our king and our teacher is Jesus Christ as disciples. And our lives are to, to emulate and, and imitate him and, and his teaching and his life and how he acts and reacts. As Christians, little Christ, we're supposed to be like Jesus. And we talked about that last week. And we, and we saw from that text last week... Um, As the disciple, one of Jesus' disciples asked a certain question to him, Jesus responded in a certain way. And we really looked at a few things. We looked at how our obedience as disciples would be put to the test, that daily we choose Christ, that we may be saved and we've made that decision and that affects eternity and the rest of our life, but there is a daily choice to obey Jesus or not, or, or obey other things, or to choose other things over Christ. We also looked at the value we put on our discipleship relationship with Jesus. Do we value it above everything else? Do we value our obedience to Christ over maybe this, that, or the other? And then also we talked about last week that there was a cost to following Jesus. That when we give our life to Christ, and when we're we're transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of our beloved son, there's a death that happens. Right? And the old man has passed away and the new has come. And there's things even currently in our lives that God asks us to give up because those things aren't honoring and glorifying to the Lord. And there's things that he purges and prunes us of. And so discipleship in many ways um, is, is, is giving up. It's sacrificing for Christ's sake. And prayerfully, if you were here last week, our hearts were, were convicted in a really right way. They were stirred. They were 
For many of us, we repented last week. We turned from those, those things that we're choosing over Christ. We allowed our hearts to be softened and, and to, to be turned into obedient, available hearts to be used by God in any way he saw fit. And at the end of last week, I, I kind of told you that this week we'd be talking about some examples of men and women that have obeyed Christ. They're disciples. They're just like us, but they've obeyed Christ in certain ways, in some very radical And we're going to do that today. They, they obeyed God's word. They obeyed the leading and call of the God's spirit in their lives. And most of their obedience, we'll see today, was very costly. They encountered incredible hardships, persecution, trials, disease, death. But the eternal, lasting, God-glorifying and honoring fruit far, far, far outweighed the cost. And we, as we look at their lives this morning it resonates with what the Apostle Paul would say of his own life. He said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You can see from their lives and the testimony of how they lived it that this was true of them as well. And the reason why I'm highlighting these folks isn't to idolize them, isn't to exalt them, isn't to put some unnecessary thing on a pedestal. These are men and women just like us that are sinners saved by grace, that are not perfect. And if you look deep or even shallow into their lives, you won't like what you see. The same could be said of us. But by God's grace, he saved them. And by his grace, they've obeyed. And they've been faithful to what God has called them to do. And it's incredible to see the fruit that has come from their life. And what we're going to look at is actually not biblical characters today. And that might, might, might surprise some of you. And there's nothing wrong with biblical characters. There's, none are better, none are worse, whatever. It's just that these today are from the last 500 or so years of church history. I like to call them the saints of old. These men and women that uh, in some ways can be a little bit more relatable in, in, in some facets. Sometimes relating to a biblical character in a culture that was, is so different than ours 2,000 years ago, halfway around the world, the jump can be difficult to relate to. But these that we're going to look at today are, are Americans, or they're from Europe, or, and it's, it's from the same type of issues and type of world that we, we come out of. What I want to do is I want to make sure that we give them their proper place, knowing that they're just like us. They're ordinary men and women that obey Jesus. And the ultimate example, the person that we should exalt, the one they should worship, the one that we should look to is Jesus. Jesus is our ultimate example of obedience to the Father. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane. Three times Jesus prayed, let this cup pass from me, speaking of the cross, but not my will, but your will be done. And what Jesus did was ultimately obey the will of the Father unto death. And we strive to imitate Christ and serve Christ. But the reason why we look at these people is, is to be spurred on and encouraged by their obedience. These men and women that we'll talk of today are faithful ambassadors who endured a thousand momentary afflictions and daily deaths so that others could reap an eternity in heaven. 
And prayerfully, their faithfulness and their sacrifice intensify our own passion to make Christ's love and value made known among the nations. That's the point of today, that we would be spurred on and stirred up to obey God in the ways that they have. I will say that many of these people were martyrs. They, they died serving Jesus. And there's some details that I'll talk about today that are um, they're pretty heavy. And so if you have young children in here on, you know, that are sensitive to that, um, I would maybe suggest taking them out. Sorry about that. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's the reality um, and the truth of the cost, but also the beauty and the fruit of obeying Jesus. So I'll just say that little precursor right there. The reason why I'm doing this today is for me, few things inspire me personally to radically live for Christ more than the story of those who did. And I pray that this effect would be on, on you as well, that this wouldn't be so heavy and, you know, their lives would be so amazing or they obeyed the Lord so well that they leave this place, you know, condemned. It's, it's, that's, that's not from the Lord. Or so heavy that we, you know, we compare ourselves and, oh, man, I wish I was like that. So allow these stories to wash over you right now so that you'd be changed, right? That we'd obey God more, that we'd fix our eyes more on Jesus. Allow these to just give you the little push. Amen? Amen. So here we go. I'm just going to read through the stories of 12 of a dozen men and women. The first is William Tyndale. Many of you might know him because your Bible may be a Tyndale Bible. William Tyndale lived from 1494 to 1536. He's British. And at that time, the way in which you read Scripture or knew the Word of God is that you went into the church. At that time, English monarchy, the Catholic Church, um, you would, a priest would read the Bible and it would be in Latin. There was no English translation of the Scripture. And William Tyndale saw a big problem with this. No one read for themselves the word of God. No one could understand that wasn't educated the knew what Latin was. Much of our Bible today is because Tyndale translated it into English. He was the first one to translate considerable parts of the Bible from Latin into English. And this did not go over well with the Catholic Church. This, they did not want this. The English monarchy at the time did not want the word of God in the hands of the common people. They saw this as a threat to the empire and a threat to religion in general. So much so that they asked Tyndale to stop and cease and no longer do his translation. He refused. He kept on with his work. And eventually he was burned at the stake at the age of 42 in central London where our teams in London right now are, are, are at. They're, they're seeing the plaque where he gave his life. But he did it so that men and women, specifically those of the working class, the uneducated, could know Christ through the scriptures. And one of his famous quotes before he died was, If God spare my life in many years, I will cause a boy who drives a plow to know more of the scriptures than the Pope. That was his desire. That, that boy in the field will have the word of God. 
as he should. And thankful he did. The price he paid allowed us in many ways to have the Bible in our hands in this room today. William Tyndale. The next one is David Brainerd. Jump about 200 years to 1718. He's born. He's an American. He's, he's born in America. And his desire from a young age is to be a pastor. He loves God and he wants others to know the God in which he sees in Scripture. And back then, the only way that you could be a pastor is to be heavily educated. And at that time, he tried to get entrance into a college. He tried to get, you know, to go to seminary. Actually tried to go to Princeton University. And he was denied. He wasn't allowed in. And that didn't stop him, though. He said, okay, can't do it the traditional way. On his heart were the Native Americans at that time. He went into the interior of the United States and he began to learn their languages and their cultures. He learned it in his 20s. He preached the gospel, converted many, but unfortunately at the age of 28, he contracted tuberculosis, had to come off the field. And the last year of his life um, was, was, was pretty, pretty heavy. And he, and he died of tuberculosis at the age of 29. David Brainerd. But his desire can be encapsulated in in this one saying. He said, All my desire was the conversion of the heathen. I declare now that I'm dying, I would not have spent my life otherwise for the whole world. 29-year-old said that. Incredible testimony to the Native Americans. When he was turned away from formal education. But that didn't stop him. He went anyway. The next is a man that uh, for me was one of the first missionary autobiographies that I ever read. His name was Adoniram Judson. How's that name? Adoniram Judson. He also was an American. He's actually the first overseas American missionary. Born in 1788. He was a missionary to Burma. Modern day Myanmar. Right above Thailand. And he poured his life into translating the Bible into Burmese. And he spent his, his days just in discipleship and in conversion. And he threw his life uh, to the Burmese people. By the grace of God. By the empowerment of God. And in his time, he suffered incredible hardship. Over the 40 years that he was in country, he lost three wives and six out of his 13 children died. One time when, I forget one of which one of his wives died, he, um, he went crazy. He lived in the jungle, a madman for two years. Just done with everything. I mean, but ultimately, God, God, God healed and restored and redeemed him and brought him back. And he continued doing ministry there for years. The reason why I point that out is he is just a man just like us. That this was not easy. This was not fun. This was not, this was as gnarly, as bad, as hard as it gets. And it took a toll on him. But here's the fruit of that. Because some of you here might be like, this is the most horrible thing you've ever told me. Here's the fruit of his obedience to Christ despite countless loss. Is that now, currently... Because, directly because of Adoniram Judson, there's over 3,000 churches and over 1.9 million believers in Burma. 
that can directly be traced back to his work those 40 years. When he was 20 years old, he was leaving, he was intended to leave for Burma. Uh, he, he fell in love with a girl and he wrote this girl's father a letter of intent of marriage. Um, hold on to your seats for this one. Pretend you are the father of your daughter getting this letter. Adoniram Judson writes, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. <laughs> Usually don't start it that way. <laughs> I don't, guys that aren't married, don't do that. <laughs> Goes on to say, whether you can consent to see her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. I would, I would say, get behind me, Satan, if someone wrote this. But then he goes on and he says this. Can you consent to all this for the sake of perishing immortal souls? For the sake of Zion and the glory of God, can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall resound to her Savior from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair? A dad said yes. A dad said yes. He consented. The next person we're going to talk about this morning is that girl, Anne Judson. She ended up, by marriage, being the first American female overseas missionary. Married to Adoniram at 21. Uh, she got married to Adoniram in that letter. And two weeks after their wedding, they got on the boat. Talk about a honeymoon. Later sailed to Burma, Myanmar. She, Anne Judson, wrote a catechism in Burmese. She translated the books of Daniel and Jonah into Burmese. She's also the first Protestant to ever translate any of the scriptures into Thai. The, the Gospel of Matthew, she did in 1819, and still to this day, it's what Christians have, have referred to in Thailand. This is Anne Judson. But like her husband, uh, her life was riddled with hardship. Um, in that time before Adoniram went a little MIA in the jungle, Adoniram was imprisoned for the work there for 17 months. In this time, uh, Ad, uh, two of their younger kids died. Anne went every single day to the prison to plead his release. In that time, their three-month-old Son also died. But due to her perseverance, they released Adoniram. But shortly after, she died at the age of 37. And because of her death, <clears throat> sorry, it's heavy. That's why he went into the jungle. But then he came out. But this was Anne Judson's continued prayer. God grant that we may live and die among the Burmese, though we never should do anything else than smooth the way for others. 
In her, in her mind, it wasn't even about the fruit. If we can just make it easier for others to come in with the gospel, it was worth it. San Judson. There also was a young woman that went with the Judsons. Her name was Harriet Newell. The interesting thing about Harriet Newell was even though you may think the Judsons were young, 21 years old, Harriet was 19. She uh, was the youngest teenage, you could call teenage missionary that there had been. She was also an American. She went with the Judsons, but she never actually got to set foot in Burma. The government denied her entrance Uh, She had to sail to an island nearby. She spent time there trying to get back, trying to get to the work in Burma. But she ended up dying on that island before the work ever started. And in her memoirs to her mother, she wrote this. Speaking of her mother. Tell her that her dear Harriet never repented of any sacrifice she has made for Christ. Then on her dying bed, she was comforted with the thought of having had it in her heart to do something for the heathen, though God had seen it fit to take her away before we entered on our work. I mean, just look at her heart. Of Her heart was more about the obedience to the Father than the result. The next that we look at is George Mueller. George Mueller was British. Look at this guy. I love this guy. I hope I can look like this guy when I'm older. And if you can tell he looks a little joyful, it's because he was. See, George Mueller is interesting because he didn't get on a boat and go somewhere else. He wasn't, you know, an overseas missionary like a lot of these. He ministered to orphans. Those around him in his own city, in his hometown that didn't have a mother or a father and that were in need. You know, reading the book of James, pure and undefiled religion is loving the orphan and the widow. And he did this. And he started by just taking one kid in, into his own home, then two, then three. Then his home got a little crowded. So he got a bigger house. And by, over the course of his life, George Mueller directly cared for and ministered to 10,000 orphans. Brought people to work with him, got larger buildings. But this is what's so significant about this man. He never once asked anyone for any money. Never fundraisers. There was no kickstarters. There was no email chains. There was no bake sales. He trusted God. He prayed. This, is, this man is the epitome of answered prayer. See, he kept a journal, a prayer journal. And and on the left page of every journal, he would write his prayer requests. And think about the needs and the requests for 10,000 orphans. And he he wrote these prayer requests on the left side. And every time God answered the prayer, he would write it on the right side. And he would date it. When he asked and when it was answered. We have the journal. All 50,000 prayers are answered. All of them. And at the end of his life, you know, people would doubt the way he did things and never asking for money. And, you know, it was a little bit like the Wild Wild West and how he did stuff, right? He just trusted God and went and took in kids. Oh, you don't have the means to provide for those kids. I'm taking them in. I'm taking them in. And at the end of his life, you know, he encountered criticism for this. And he said this. He said, if the Lord fails me at this time, it'll be the first time. 
So stop talking. (laughs) I added that one. If the Lord fails me at this time, it will be the first time. I love George Mueller because he met the needs of the people around him. And he didn't have necessarily the resources to do so, but he knew his God did. And so he asked his God, and God gave it to him. The next is uh, also a British missionary by the name of David Livingston. David Livingston was the pioneer, explorer-type missionary that he was the first one to make, you know, the transcontinental trip um, across Africa. In his time there, he set up social programs and missionary societies and health clinics all throughout Africa. And his life was riddled with hardship. I mean, he was once mauled by a lion. He got every single disease that you can imagine. And he ended up dying in Africa at the age of 60 of one of those diseases. And, you know, he was a British explorer and missionary. And at that time, you know, Britain wanted his body back to give him a proper ceremony. But the tribe in which he had worked with for decades wouldn't give them the body. Finally, they relented. But what they did was they cut out his heart. And they put a note on the body and said, you can have his body, but his heart belongs in Africa. Livingston Hart was buried under the tree in the village where he was ministering to, to this day. His body, together with his journal, was carried over a thousand miles back to England. He, as well, encountered heavy hardships and ended up dying. But this is, this is the kind of faith or trust he had in the Lord. Look at what he says here in some of his journals. He says, I have never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not to talk when we remember the great sacrifice with which he made, Jesus, who, made, who, who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. And then he said, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? I love that. If an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commissioned by a heavenly thing, be considered a sacrifice. The next is one of my favorites. His name is John G. Patton. Look at the beard. Just look at the beard. Britt is trying to do this, by the way. John G. Patton was a Scottish missionary, and he did his ministry in the uh, New Hebrides Islands, modern-day Vanuatu in the South Pacific. And at that time... You know, I mean, not at that time. The tropics are very difficult to live in, specifically back then. But he went with his wife and his kids. And three weeks in, his wife and half his kids died. Three weeks in, taking a boat from Scotland to the South Pacific. Three weeks in, his wife and his kids died. Immediately crushed but knew God had called him and they were there. And he began to see the people there. And at that time, the natives were cannibals. I mean, real deal cannibalism was happening on these islands. There were stories of John G. Patton. That was his, he was doing ministry there. People tried to kill him all the time. 
There were stories supernaturally of, you know, he would wake up and there would be men with clubs over him about to kill him. And then all of a sudden they would get, get confused and run away. There was other stories of him at night being followed and chased through the jungle and him climbing up in the trees and having to hide there all night from people killing him, trying to kill him. But he stayed there. He stayed there until the, the island that he landed on was entirely converted. He didn't leave till the, the job was done. The entire island got converted, and then he moved on to the other islands, and 25 out of the 30 islands, he translated the New Testament into their native language. There was one time that he went on furlough back to Scotland, and his sending church was obviously concerned. They had heard what happened, and they said, you can't go back. You cannot go back. Too much is at stake. You're going to die there. Like, you cannot go back. We're not going to send you. You can't go back. His response was this. If I die here in Glasgow, I shall be eaten by worms. If I can but live and die serving the Lord Jesus, it'll make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. (sighs) This guy is so gnarly. For in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. I'm going to get a glorified body anyway, so I don't care how I go out. He went. He went back. He didn't listen to him. You know, as people were being converted and people being transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of beloved son, they were obviously giving up cannibalism. The whole society was changing. And there was one time where John G. Patton gave out communion. You know, he was doing a service or teaching the Bible to these people, and they gave communion to them. Communion, you know, representing the the broken body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus that was spilt for us on the cross. And this is what he wrote of this. He says, At the moment I put the bread and wine into those dark hands, once stained with the blood of cannibalism, now stretched out to receive and partake the emblems and seals of the Redeemer's love. I had a foretaste of the joy of glory that well nigh broke my heart to pieces. I shall never taste a deeper bliss till I gaze on the glorified face of Jesus himself. Hmm. Incredible. Incredible obedience to the Father. The next is Hudson Taylor. You guys all know Hudson Taylor. He's British. He's founder of the China Inland Mission. He was in China for 51 years, bringing over 800 missionaries to the country, who in, in tow began 125 schools, and he directly resu- his work directly resulted in 18,000 Christian conversions. Much of the inroads, churches and house churches in China today is because Hudson Taylor paved the way. His obedience to the Father and his 51 years spent there paved the way for people today being saved. As, you know, he was bringing over missionaries and many would say, what are the qualifications? What schooling do I need? What do I need to be like in order to, to, to serve the Lord? He said this, he said, God isn't looking for people of great faith, but for individuals ready to follow him. Just need to be available. Just need to be open. Speaking of his own dedication to where God had called him, he said this, he said, if I had a thousand lives, I'd give them all for China. 
And you know, um, there was one time that they were, him and his wife were just, didn't have any money. I mean, just had, had, had nothing. And uh, there was one time during, during a time when he was working in the Chinese Inland Mission where he said to his wife, we have 87 cents in all the promises of God. <laughs> we have 87 cents in all the promises of God. In other words, honey, we got no money, but we have Jesus. That didn't stop him. You know, I think we think we, we need resources. We need this. We need that. We need to be educated. We need, no, we need to be available. And we have Jesus. The next is a woman by the name of Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael was an Irish missionary that spent her life in India caring for young women. Much like George Mueller, but she brought in specifically women and young girls off the streets, uh, either orphans or those out of, the, uh, prosti- out of prostitution. Um, anyone that had a really a bleak future, she would take in. What's so significant about her is that over the course of her life, she alone, in some cases, or, or, or specifically hands-on, one-on-one, cared for and took in a thousand of these girls. And also, what's so significant about Amy Carmichael is she never took a furlough and she was in country for 55 years. She never went home. She never took a break. She just, the Lord sustained her and she went. And in in the midst of that, she was actually a pretty unhealthy person. She had um, neuralgia, you know, a, a, a disease that affects your nervous system. And so at some times there'd be weeks on end where she would be in bed off the missions field. Weeks on end, you know, usually you're like, I, I can't physically do that, and so I need to come off the field or whatnot. But his grace was sufficient for her and sustained her, and she continued to minister on the field all those years. One of her famous quotes is, One, one can give without loving, but one cannot love without giving. And then speaking of Jesus' call to follow him, you know, uh, in Matthew, when he says, in order to follow me, you need to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. She said this. She said, missionary life, missionary life is simply a chance to die. Not, not in a morbid way, in, in, a, in a sense of discipleship, obedience to the Father way. You truly die to yourself when you step out in faith as a missionary. And then we jump into, you know, the 19th, or, you know, this current century here, the 20th century, with Jim Elliott. You guys know the Jim Elliott. You've, you've, I'm sure you've, you've seen the movie, but he's American. And him and a, a several families went down to Ecuador to minister to an unreached people group in the jungle there. And much of what they did at the very beginning was they flew their plane and they would look for the people in the jungle where they were and they would try to uh, make contact with them a lot by dropping things out of the airplane and seeing if there was any you know, kind of peace offering that could go on. And there was one day where they landed the plane. All five of the husbands were in the plane. They landed on a, in, you know, in a riverbed, a dry riverbed. And the natives came out, and there was a confrontation, and all five of them, including Jim Elliott, were speared to death. This is what's significant that some, you know, that we might not know, is that they actually did have guns in the plane. And they actually did fire those guns but they only fired them into the air to, to scare the attackers by. They could, have, they could have shot their guns. They could have stopped themselves from getting speared. But in talking about the, the, maybe the potential of this to their wives earlier, what they said is, we won't ever shoot 
the people. We don't ever, we'll never kill the people because we're ready for heaven and they're not. We're ready for heaven and they're not. That's why we're here to bring the good news of Jesus Christ so that they would, they would know, they'd be saved, they'd be freed from their sins so that they could be in heaven. They're not ready to die. We are. We know our Savior. That's the story of Jim Elliot on that, on that dry riverbed when that happened. One of his famous quotes is, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Give up anything you have to to gain Christ. And then the last woman I want to talk about, last person today, is Jim Elliot's wife, Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot died last year. She lived a long life. But her husband, Jim Elliot, was killed on that riverbank. She was 29 years old at the time. She stayed in country. She learned the language. Took her years to learn the language of the people. She took her three-year-old daughter into that jungle and ministered to the same people that killed her husband. She lived and worked and ministered there, and many were saved and transformed. She was able to ask for forgi- she was ask- able to forgive the man that killed her husband. And what a radical testimony and example of forgiveness and obedience was what Elizabeth Elliot did in light of her husband's death. She truly walked the talk. She lived out forgiveness to those people. And as we look at all these people that we talked about today, these 12 men and women, and there's so many more, right? These are just ones we've highlighted. But does this not stir us, right? Does this not stir us that the truth is, is that we can either live for ourselves, and I don't know if this scares some of you, but it's, the average is only 78.4 right now, years old. That's it. The, life is a mist. It's a vapor. It's short. And in light of eternity, we can, we can, we can choose, right? We can choose to either live for ourselves or live for Jesus and bear fruit for all of eternity. And as heavy as some of these are, because, you know, a lot of them died. They, as much as we should know, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when we get to heaven, and when we see these men and women, if, if for some weird reason we were to ask them, or can ask them, was it worth it? Would you have done it again? Would you have experienced such hardship in your life again? What do you think their answer would have been? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd do it again all over again. For Hudson Taylor, I'd do it a thousand times. For David Brainerd, there's no other place I'd rather be. They understood something. They understood that it doesn't matter what happens to me because I'm ready for heaven and they're not. Jamelian. That the world is in desperate need of a savior and truth to set them free. They got that. They didn't waste their life, right? They lived and breathed and suffered and died for something greater than themselves. And that was the gospel. In light of what Christ did for them on the cross and the life they had now in Christ, they knew that others didn't have it. And it was simple for them. I know Jesus, they don't. I gotta go tell them. Or, or I know Jesus and the love of Jesus and the hope of Jesus and there's people around me that don't. I gotta love and care for these people. Amy Carmichael, George Mueller with orphans. And so 
the question that we have to ask ourselves is we have to put ourselves in a picture, if you want, and say, what will be said of me? Or what will my life look like? Or how will I spend my years here? That's, that's what it is. We have choices. We have choices. It doesn't mean that we're all called to be overseas missionaries. We're actually not. No one, not everybody can leave. Then we're all gone. Many of us, most of us are called to maybe stay here in our communities, in, with your family, in the workplace, in the same house. Like, but, but what is God calling us to do? All of us, he's calling us to his word, right? To obey his word and to be like him and it's in his word. But what is God specifically calling you to? What is he calling you to? And, and will you choose to, to obey and follow him? And church, I will say, like I said before, it's worth it. In light of eternity, in light of who Christ is. Let's choose Christ. Let's choose to obey him. Let's choose to follow him. Let's choose to serve him with our lives and not waste it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. As heavy and and hard to hear in some ways as these testimonies have been, we also see how beautiful and wonderful and incredible the fruit of obedience was. That millions know you now. That many that, that were lost are now found. Lord, would you give us a heart that is yours, that burdens us with what burdens yours. We want to be people that are after your own heart. We want to be less about ourselves and more about you, King Jesus. We ask that we would be disciples that deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you. But for some of us, this is really hard to hear and scary. And we just pray you comfort us, Lord. You give us a greater view that, you, that we trust you more, that we have more faith, help our unbelief. But if anything, Lord, I just, I pray that we would be stirred and encouraged to follow you wherever you would have us go. You're better, you're worth it, you're God. And so Holy Spirit, we ask that during this worship time that you would move us that we would, that our hearts would be softened to listen to what it is that you'd have for us and that we would be, there'd be a depth in us that we would truly know you and obey you with whatever it is you ask of us. Help us, Lord. Help us to be obedient today and follow you wherever it is you may lead us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.